Enterprising in my surroundings I'm finding the quietest estates these days This representation of storm brewing Amazed that the focus remains The vocal focal point of my change Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast I'm your host, Matt Chittam And this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there Who are working hard to get better While balancing running with the rest of their lives So excited for today's show Jeremy Rivera And before we get into it, she is a returning guest. She is just so awesome. But I do want to just touch on something really quick. Jeremy is someone who can handle some really high mileage in her weekly uh, mileage totals, her monthly mileage totals, and the workouts she does is awesome. And I couldn't wait to talk to her about it. But I do want to just put a little disclaimer out there. Just because one person does something doesn't mean that everyone has to do it. And there are certain people who I think may listen to this who may say, you know what? I want to do that kind of workouts and so on and so forth. And I'm not telling you what to do and what not to do. I don't know. You know, I'm not, I'm not, you're listening to this and you may have a coach. You may not have a coach, whatever. But I will say this. Don't just listen to these podcasts and say, well, I really like that person. I'm going to do exactly what they do, whether it's Journey or whether it's anybody else. A lot of this is so individualized. Her training is different than a lot of other people's. And that's great because it works for her, but it might not work for you. And I just want to put that out there because it's just important when we hear these sorts of things not to take um, someone else's example and just transpose it right onto our lives and say, okay, if it works for them, it will definitely work for me. Uh, it may be the case. It may not be the case. But I just want to put that out there because um, I don't say that enough, and I think that I should. So with that being said, let's get into it with someone who I just am totally fascinated by and love talking to, Jeremy Rivera. All right. She is back. Jeremy Rivera, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be back. This is going to be great. So you were last on the show, episode 276, October of 2020, almost exactly a year and a half ago. And that was a great podcast. A lot of people like listening to it. For me, it was just a pleasure to have you on because I've been such a fan of yours and following your running journey. And basically, a little synopsis, if you haven't listened to that episode, or it's just been a while, you don't remember, hey, what happened in episode 276? We talked a lot about how basically you went from non-runner to somebody who was doing some really incredible stuff. I think you had just run like a 1907 5K. You had really transformed yourself into a high-level, dedicated amateur runner from someone who didn't run at all. And you did it remarkably quickly. And yet, here we are a year and a half later, and you're like on a completely different level journey. This has been so much fun to watch. <laughs> yeah, you know, I um, I ran a sub three marathon, um, which I think was one of the last goals that we talked about that I said I wanted to do. But at that point, there weren't a lot of marathons happening. Um, I got a new coach. I switched my line of work. So yeah, this is this is Journey 2.0. <laughs> I love it. And you have all new goals. You just you just smashed another race last weekend. Yeah, I ran uh, 125 as like a workout. I didn't taper. Oh, 125 half marathon. I should clarify. Um, as a workout, I didn't taper anything. I just kind of like went into it. Um, just like as a last minute FOMO thing, I have Boston coming up. So I wanted to get some practice in and like, usually I do my long runs alone. Um, my husband's been biking with me, so I wanted to do something, you know, kind of like with more people around and a little bit more exciting than just running by myself. 
that was one topic that we touched on a lot in the first episode, was just the social nature of running for you, that it played a significant role in your origins within the sport, really getting into it. And then obviously when we spoke, considering the date, you know, I think it was like late September 2020. Obviously, a lot of that had curbed at that point. What's it been like for you since then? You know, you say you're a Florida resident, so restrictions are a little different than they are in other places. But what's it been like for you getting back into the, the social nature of running, considering just not only the COVID stuff, but also like you mentioned before, you have a new job. Maybe there's restrictions there. You're just doing more training as well. So maybe just the timing of it could be different. So yeah, socially, um, things have changed a lot. Um, because before I was training with a group and now I have a coach that is, uh, virtual. So he's from South Florida. I'm from Orlando. We live like three hours apart and I only have one team member from Orlando that also trains with me and he like lives somewhere else. So it's just kind of hard. So I've been running a lot by myself, which makes the races feel a whole lot easier and better. But, um, you know, I'm not a fan. (laughs) I'm not a fan of running alone. I thought I would get used to it by now, but it's not really my thing. Yeah. And obviously being in a different situation, because before you ran as part of like a community running team where like you'd all get together as a group and that we talked about that as well in the last episode. But for people who didn't listen, like those can be really useful um, in terms of, you know, and I wasn't part of, I was one of those when I was in my mid to late twenties as well, like this whole group gets together and uh, you don't get that personalized one-on-one attention from a coach, which obviously is a hindrance, but the positive is there's so much support and it's so fun and exciting and it really is you can get swept up in the whole whole ideal of it. So when you go like when you think forward when you think ahead, considering how much you love to have that social nature of the running side, like what what do you think is gonna like play a part in you figuring out kind of the best way to hit that middle ground between the two ranges that you've had over the last few years? Well, you know, uh, one thing I do is that I still come to the group. <laughs> I still come to the group event. I just do my own thing. It's like, oh, well, Journey is just going to be doing her 13-mile workout over there in the corner <laughs> of the track. So I still kind of like incorporate the social aspect of it in some ways, but um, I'm not sharing the same workout as other people. Um, you know, Last year, I started to feel like a little bit too comfortable training with a group. Um, I wasn't pushing myself like outside of my comfort zone. And I just have this thing, particularly within running, where like if I start to feel like, you know, I can do that. I, I think I can nail this goal. I'm like, whoa, I need to stop and switch it up because I like kind of like being on the edge of something that I don't think I can do and like really giving it an honest good chance. And, um, when it came to like pursuing, um, you know, getting a new coach and trying something totally different, running more mileage, running alone, I was like, you know, I think this is a challenge that I really want to try. Now, have you ever approached other areas of your life in that same way that you mentioned, like going so hard after goals and never being comfortable with being comfortable? It it seems like you come across as a very driven person when you describe it that way, which is, I'm like sitting here like in awe, like I need some of this. Can we bottle some of that and ship it up to New England? Like, (laughs) holy cow, Uh, that is just awesome. Is that something that you've experienced in other areas or is this more on just the running side? No, I think I'm like, um, 
Is it Spider-Man who has like two different identities? Like my running identity? I think identity? all those superheroes do, don't they? Don't they all? <laughs> okay, I don't know. <laughs> I know. I'm not a big I'm not a big superhero guy, but I think they Me all either. kind of have like that dual identity thing going on. Yeah. I have a total dual identity and like when it comes to my life outside of running, uh, no, I'm a lot more conservative. Like I stayed in the same job for 9 years and like it took so much to get me to make the jump and leave into something else. And I didn't like it at all. I don't like being uncomfortable. Um, so definitely within running, um, that's, that doesn't follow the pattern within the rest of my life, which is kind of funny. (laughs) Wow. All right. So let's talk about that. So, you know, you, when we spoke a year and a half ago, you were doing really well, right? You mentioned 1907 5k, you had this goal of breaking three, this is also kind of rarefied air, right? There's not a lot of people who are doing that, um, especially on the women's side, right? So you have a situation where like, hey, you want, especially if you want to have a group where it's more women focused, not saying that you do or don't, but like, obviously there's not a lot of women who are running that fast. Frankly, there's not a lot of men who are running that fast, uh, especially at those distances. So when you get to that, when you got to that point where it was getting harder and harder to find people to train with, maybe not on the easy days, it's a little different, but to actually do the workouts with, do you remember the tipping point where you felt like, all right, I need to make a change? Because uh, I feel like it'd be so easy to be like, hey, I'm good enough. Like, what, what, what's the need, what's the need to keep pushing? Um. Yeah. I mean, when I wake up and I feel like, yeah, I'm ready to do this long run. Like, I'm ready to go crush it. That's the moment where I'm like, okay, wait, what's happening? Like, <laughs> usually I'm being pushed out of my comfort zone when I'm like really nervous and I'm scared and I'm like almost like dreading the long run. I know I'm really putting myself out there. So, you know, with the last um, training group I was with, I kind of knew what to expect. Okay. Every Tuesday we're going to do this. Every Thursday we're going to do that. Even if the workouts change, there's like a structure to it. And, um, you know, the Saturday runs, like it, it was kind of structured in a way where, and I think a lot of people who do marathon workouts, like they'll do the four miles on and then the one or two miles off and then the four miles on. And, um, this guy that I met, um, he was like, yeah, so you're just going to do like 17 miles, like super hard. And when I was like, well, can you clarify what super hard means? And he's like, look, I need you to run like hell. Okay. <laughs> and I was like, 5K oh my God, pace, 17 miles. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I'm so scared. I love this. <laughs> wow. Okay. See, this is, this is so interesting because so many folks really kind of come out of their show when they do have that comfort, right? This feeling of like, all right, now I'm, I'm not not like so comfortable where like, you know, I do the same workouts every week and I'm never pushing myself, but really kind of like, kind of, I guess, towing the line of uncomfortability as opposed to like, you know, instead of just going, waiting right across that line and kind of embracing kind of like the dangerous side of it, which is really interesting because I, I, it, I think part and parcel with that comes to the idea of, hey, how do you handle when maybe those workouts don't go well? Because so many people get in their own heads when when that happens. And I guess you can't really have that mentality if you're kind of searching out those experiences. Yeah. So the way that I look at my practice runs, like all of my workouts that are really hard, is that it's just that. It's practice. If I was perfect, then I wouldn't need to practice. I would be going out there and just nailing, you know, a 125 half marathon, just (sighs) 
<laughs> no problem, you know. But, um, you know, the whole point of practice is to get out there, try something that pushes you, try something that gets you out of that comfort zone and um, really that you don't think you can finish and be okay with not nailing it. Because I think not nailing it is a sign that you're pushing yourself in the right direction. If you're always hitting the workouts on time and you're feeling super great, then you're probably not juicing the most potential out of yourself. All right, let's talk about something that happened a few months ago, right? So in December, the weekend of CIM, actually, they announced the new OTQ standards, which I think a lot of people were excited for. They thought it was going to be uh, way sooner than that to, for people to remember. Uh, it was, I think, 2.17 for the men uh, before. I mean, it was 2.19 it was for the men the first time and then 2.45 for the women in 2020. Does that sound right? Was that the right time for the men? Gosh, now, see, this, this is... This is the problem. I, I had it. I had it down, and I'm forgetting. Anyway, doesn't really matter. We're not talking about the men's OTQ standard right now. Anyway, so for the women, for sure, it was 2:45. A lot of people knew. Okay, this is definitely going to go down. It will probably go down three to five minutes. So they lop off a huge chunk, right? It goes yeah. down. To, was it 2:37? Yeah. Okay. So that announcement's hanging in the air. We don't know what it's going to be. So on and so forth. However. During this whole period, it seemed like you were pretty resolute once you crossed the sub three goal that OTQ was the goal. Like, it was, was that the was that always the thing or were you waiting to find out what the new standard was going to be before you kind of, you know, went that next step in your mind from a, a goal setting standpoint? Well, you know, I think my like internal secret is that I wanted to go like past that OTQ standard and I don't know by how much I can do it, but I just wanted to try. Like, I don't want to be fighting for the 245. I really wanted to come in like on the lower end of 240 or the higher end of 230 something. So this is like still within that reach. Um, you know, at one point, like a 245, even like a sub three didn't even, even Boston qualifying didn't seem like something that I would ever be capable of doing. Not just because I thought like, oh, I'm not a real runner, but I thought like genetically or something, but I wasn't <laughs> going to be capable of it. And especially because I had never been a runner for all of my life. Um, so the impossible element, I mean, that's always been there no matter uh, what goal I've picked. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, it was, it's interesting, uh, that, um, anyways, the time that was released, there were a lot of people who were like, oh my God, Jeremy, you must be so scared. Cause you were really hoping to get under 245. And I'm like, guys, I was really wanting to go a lot lower than that secretly, but <laughs> okay, here we are. I'm excited. It's not a secret anymore. Like you've been pretty open and honest. Like <laughs> I want to go for the OTQ. Um, yeah. So I guess, first of all, why make the goal a public goal, right? Because you mentioned before, you already had a secret goal. It's not like you were unfamiliar with that process. Why make it public at all? Oh, you know, I don't really know because I've never really made any of my other goals public. But I was like, you know what? I'm just going to put this out there that this is what I want to do. But for me, I think like the OTQ goal is truly one of the more impossible goals. And it's one of those things that like, I have this little shrine by my bedside, like, um, you know, like positive quotes and like Olympic trial qualifying women runners and stuff like that. And it's just, for me, this is one of those goals where 
I honestly don't know if I'm going to make it. And um, I feel like I just need to put it out there in the universe and really embrace that I want to do this and that I can be an Olympic trials qualifying marathon runner. And uh, yeah, I kind of have like my little, um, what do you call those? Those little boards, those wish boards. The vision boards? Yeah, yeah, I have that. (laughs) Because this is one of those goals for me for sure. I love it. I love it. And this was... (laughs) When they made the announcement, I'm never going to forget where I was. I was sitting outside the expo at CIM. Like We just finished the live show. I'm sitting out there. I see the announcement over on Twitter. I'm like, oh, my God. And I got a lot of feedback from people who were who were commenting. Like, they were worried that a what we saw in 2020 or leading up to 2020 was this huge cohort of people, um, and we'll, especially on the women's side, and, and, and certainly bore fruit, who were not your traditional, like, what you would expect from an Olympic trials qualifying marathon. It was like, they weren't the college runners, not like division one runners. Like they didn't run in college, right? They had these wirely diverse lives, right? Ages and families and kids or no kids, right? You saw this huge swath of people that not only got it, but went for it with such abandon, like, Hey, I can do this. This is inspiring. And like, this is just on the edge of my comfort zone, but I think it's possible. So on and so forth. And there was this belief that maybe 237 was so far out that maybe they would lose some of that juice in the amateur running scene that they were able to capture leading into 2020. You already shared how you how you felt when, when the announcement was made. Um, did you have any conversations with other people who were kind of in the same boat as you? And what were some of the, the feedback that you received from people who were, you know, kind of deciding whether or not this was for them? Um, so there's a couple girls here in Orlando that are wanting to uh, qualify um, for the Olympic trials. One of them has uh, Erica. I don't know if you know her, Erica Weiss. Yeah. And then um, there's another runner, Jessica. But those are pretty much the only two girls that I know in Orlando. So those were my only two sources of feedback, uh, locally at least. And um, they seem both excited. I know that, um, you know, there is a little bit of disappointment just because that time is like so aggressive. And um, I was seeing some you know, people on Instagram saying that, um, you know, maybe there wouldn't be a chance for people who were working part-time jobs or full-time jobs to be able to qualify. But, you know, I've seen men qualify or not qualify, but run like 230 something and like they work full-time jobs. So uh, the way I see it, I'm like, we just got to keep pushing the standard and keep making the impossible possible. I don't see a reason why we couldn't do it. Um, So, you know, I'm sure there was a time where women saw the 245 and was like, oh my God, we can't do that. Like, (laughs) what are these people thinking? But, you know, especially within the last year and the elite women's running, I mean, the bar has just been set so high. Like at the US, um, what was that championship half marathon in North Carolina that like all the top women came in like 110 and under? That's just insane so i think and even look at tokyo tokyo like within the last 24 hours like bridget koskai goes out and runs 216 it's like oh well yeah <laughs> it's like yeah. oh well like what in the world like but it's it, it is it's like it's become not commonplace but like that that didn't blow anyone's doors off 
when when that happened. Yeah, and even just here locally, like in Orlando, I know <clears throat> like a couple of years ago, running like an 18-minute 5K would like easily land you in the top three. And today, like you're lucky to get into the top 10. Oh. <laughs> so just even here locally, like the girls are setting the bar higher and higher. So we got to get with the program. That's how I see it. <laughs> All right. So you, you decided to get a new coach. So let's talk about that experience, right? So you, you know, you've done so well in your previous, you know, setup, but you decided to get a new coach. What were some of the things that you were looking for and, and uh, how did you make your decision? I wanted something a little bit more personalized. Um, and I wanted someone who would like believe in my vision to get to the standards. And when I, um, I had actually connected with this girl, Letty, and she was like, Hey, I know this coach. And I think you guys would match really well because like on the last episode that we talked in, um, I was telling you that my previous coach didn't really like my running streak and he didn't like my mileage. And so I was kind of like, you know, we're kind of bumping heads here. And, um, I really need, especially like when your dream is like in that infancy stage, like you just need someone to fully support you. And I felt like I needed that. And so when she had turned me on to my new coach and I spoke with him and he was like, yeah, I love the streak. I love the mileage. Let's just take it even higher. And then let's take this like OTQ goal. And he's like, that's cute. But like, let's go even, you know, let's do better than that. Let's get everything out of you that we can. I was just like, Oh yeah, I'm I'm totally in for this. <laughs> I love your self-confidence, your self-assuredness, and your self-awareness. This is really a masterclass on like your ability to like read what like inspires you, what you care about, and just the the whole vibe is really interesting. I feel like and I'm one of these people where like I have I can like beat around the bush about like what I'm thinking or what I want, but I never feel like I'm great at honing in on it. And um, and committing, it doesn't seem like you have that problem at all, and it's really cool to see. And and even from afar, it, it, it's clear that you're such a driven person that has that uh, elements and elements within them. Where does that part come from? Is this like something that you've picked up from other people? Is that always been there? Your folks, other mentors, but where do you think some of this comes from? Because it, uh, as someone who's now done over five hundred of these podcasts is unique and it's really <laughs> inspiring. Well, you know, I have my days where I kind of wonder like, oh gosh, have I bitten off more than I could chew? And so I'm not uh, infallible, but, um, you know, I think as far as like my work ethic goes, I like to kind of give some credit to my parents and especially my mom who like raised my sister and I as a single parent. And like, she worked two jobs. She went to school as a single mom. Um, you know, we went to college, like we turned out, me and my sister turned out as two pretty normal girls, <laughs> uh, uh, with a pretty good life. And so, you know, my mom worked really hard to make that happen. And every time that I look back on what I'm doing. Like, and I think, Oh my God, I have to wake up at five in the morning to go run. And I think about my mom and the sacrifices that she was making at my age are just nowhere in comparison to what I'm doing. And so I'm kind of like, okay, puts it in, into perspective where I think, you know, I get to do this for fun and I'm in such a 
really honestly privileged place to just be able to like pick a goal like this and chase it and, you know, um, pursue my dreams. So it's never really something that I view as like a burden, if that makes sense. Absolutely. 100%. All right. So were you aware of how hard your mom was working while you were going through it? Or is this something that has really kind of crystallized over time if you has you had some distance from it and kind of become an adult yourself? There is a little bit of crystallization, but no, definitely I knew when I was younger because, um, uh, you know, just it being my sister and I and my mom, like a lot of adult problems fell onto me and with me being the older sibling, especially. Um, so I was very well aware of the struggles that my mom had to go through. Um, you know, times that like, and I had actually made a post about this, you know, just times that like we have evaded like eviction and, um, we were like struggling to get food on the table and stuff like that. I mean, I was very well aware that like my upbringing was not, um, up to that of other children of my cohort. And also just kind of realizing that like also no one else's parents worked from like six in the morning until like 10 at night. I mean, she was gone quite a bit. Um, so yeah, that was, uh, you know, obviously not very fun to go through when I was young, but now as like an older adult, I like look back and I, realize like all the sacrifices that she made to give us the life that we had and um, the work ethic that she showed us as an example. And I'm obviously not wishing that uh, I would have to go through that again or something like that. But I'm thankful that, you know, I had her as my mom. Let's talk about your running work ethic, because this is no joke. Okay, this is you talked about before, <laughs> like you had, you had mileage and the streaks, you know, before this, you know, two years ago to say nothing of what's been going on recently. So so give us what your what your current training, not like it doesn't necessarily be like last week, but like just a overview of, say, like the last two or three months, what a typical training week would look like in terms of like workouts and mileage and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. So um, Ron which is my coach, he's been kicking my butt. So um, my usual week looks like no days off. My shortest run is typically like six to eight miles uh, for my off day. And then I'll have typically two workouts, two speed workouts, and then a Sunday long run workout. Um, The speed workouts are more focused like on longer distance like kilometer mile repeats. Um, and then sometimes I'll do like five kilometer repeats, a three mile run off the track and then come back and come do some three hundreds with like a two mile cool down and a two mile warm up as well. So they're very long. They can be like 13 miles. Um, then the Sunday run, like I was telling you, he's like, just run like hell <laughs> the entire time. You know, I do a little bit of a warm up, like a mile or two, but then from there, it's like no games. It's just all like snot and sweat. How do you, how do you uh, the snot foot flying boy, I can relate to that, uh, <laughs> while not running nearly as fast as you are. How do you pace yourself for the run like hell 17 miler? 
You know, I'm a pretty conservative person in terms of my pacing. It doesn't come across that way, Jeremy. Let me just, <laughs> all, everyone at home listening, this is like, yes, yes, talk to us about your conservative nature. Ms. Yeah. I don't take any days off and do three speed workouts a week. Yeah. Um, so like I start off at a pace that I think I can chew, 645, 650, something like that. And then once I am like, okay, I'm surviving this and I start warming up a little bit more then I get into the 630s, sometimes drop into like the 620s or like the high 16s. Um, but really like as far as determining how that's going to go, it's just off feel. Like some days I'm just like pressing the gas pedal as hard as I can. And it's 645 is all I got. And then there's some days where like, I'm just like throwing down like 619, 618 on the final miles. And, um, uh, I'm not going to say that I feel great, but you know, I feel good enough to get it done. But yeah, it's just based all on feel, which I really like about, um, this style as well as that, like, I'm just doing everything, um, kind of more on a scale where I'm just pushing myself based on how my body's feeling and not trying to like hit a particular pace. Are you, well, maybe not focused on hitting a pace. Are you aware of your paces while you're running? Oh yeah. I'm dying. I'm looking at the watch. So you're so basically so you're trying to teach yourself to look at the watch without judgment. So you're aware of it, but you're not trying to then alter your effort based on what you're seeing. You're based more more on just like how you're feeling prior to looking at your watch, I guess. Yeah. So I just kind of start off just running hard and then I see what that time is. And like sometimes it'll be like 655 and I'm like, oh, okay, well, today's going to be one of those days where I'm just not really going to be able to go that fast. And then there's days where I hit the first mile and it's like 640 and I'm like, okay, let's see what we got. Uh, this could be a good sign, but um, yeah, it's nice just to not... Um, not like prescribe myself to a certain pace. Cause I feel like in the past I would think, okay, well I have to run four miles at this pace and then take a little break and then run four miles again at this pace. And it would make me upset if I didn't like hit that pace. I thought I was, uh, I don't know, not, uh, I don't know, performing up to standard, I guess you could say. Um, but right now it's just like my only standard is, am I giving it my all? You know, am I feel? am I finishing the workout and am I feeling tuckered out by the end of it? Because that's a good sign of a good long run. <laughs> God, I love it. All right. Um, but that's not it because maybe I'm reading it wrong, but it does seem like you're doing double days now. Oh, my gosh. That, too. I kind of left that part out. Let's, I let's, don't ex think let's explore this. The genesis of it and then what it's evolved into. So um, let me start with this. I guess. I don't know. if uh, So with the double days, um, I actually, when I ended up quitting the job of nine years and I went into another line of work, I took like this contract, like temp job and it uh, did not work out. Um, and after like, after that didn't work out, my coach was like, you know what? Let's turn lemons into lemonade. Don't worry about the work. Um, because obviously like I was very afraid being unemployed. He's like, let's just keep you focused on this goal at hand. Um, I want you running as much mileage as we can get you to. And like, just really having you focus on being a full-time runner. 
And I was totally stoked about that. Um, thankfully, like with my husband's job, we were able to like stay afloat and it wasn't a problem, but it did like put a crimp in our, uh, lifestyle. And, uh, but you know what? It was no just more so super nice. shoes, Jeremy. You're going to run, you're running with the DSW's <laughs> finest. I know. <laughs> Uh, no, I still got my nice shoes. Um, you know, things just worked out. Like someone once told me that my uh, trust in the universe <laughs> and the universe pulling through is inspiring. Because <laughs> I told them, I was like, you know what, this will all work out. Like, I believe in the universe. I'll find something else. Like, this just wasn't my path. And I'm carving out my new path now. Like, I cannot well, afford... Well, anyone, anyone who's listened to this is like, well, I she wasn't going to stay, like unemployed for long like you're, you're super smart like this who works hard like obviously this was gonna something was going to come of it but i can imagine i've been there i've been unemployed before and it it, it is not a fun experience even if you can find something interesting on the side um so when you started doing these doubles like okay professional runner now go time yeah pro runner yeah all right and like <laughs> so so what was that experience like and how did you adapt to it Honestly, I adapted to it really well because I wasn't working. So I had all the time to nap and eat and recover. And like, I wasn't using any recovery tools at the time. Like I wasn't foam rolling or anything because I was getting like 10 hours of sleep every single day with naps added in there, you know, nice, like stay at home wife lifestyle. <laughs> but, um, you know, it was actually not that bad. And as far as the Sunday runs go, because usually I'll run 17 in the morning and then I I run five at night and that will get me up to 22 miles for the day. And usually the five at night feel like a nice little shakeout. Um, but it does require taking a nap in between and kind of like learning how to fuel properly, because if you eat too much, um, and then you go take your nap and then you go run, like you're going to feel super sick. So there were some little things that I had to work around with that. But as far as like the extra mileage goes, I really like it. Um, I'm a hog for the miles. So <laughs> you stack on more miles and I'm happy about it. So were you doing them primarily on workout days, easy days, or was it just like all the time? Um, there were, they're usually on workout days. So like I would have my 10 mile workout in the morning and then I'll have my five mile shakeout in the evening. Or sometimes like he'll switch it up on me because, um, I'm not really a good morning runner. Like anytime that I do a track workout in the morning, it doesn't go well at all. Um, like compared to when I do one in the evening. So he'll have me do like maybe eight miles in the morning. And then I do my track workout in the evening. Oh <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ultimately, you did get another job and things are working out and you're you're working from home and you're doing, you know, so you have a certain amount of uh, versatility with that potentially, at least from a commuting perspective. But how did life, how did running life change once work life changed? Uh, it's been hard. Um, it's been good and it's been hard. So I have been able to maintain like 75 mile weeks, but obviously like taking my naps, <laughs> that's not getting put on the front burner anymore. Um, you know, my, my work schedule is pretty like, I won't say flexible, but I can start like pretty late into the morning. So I do get to sleep in. And so the recovery is still there. But as far as like doing doubles, I haven't done that yet. 
during the weekday, like I used to when I wasn't working. Um, so, and my coach right now is kind of like, well, why don't we just stay around this like lower end of the mileage for now? Cause you're doing good. And what, and, and what mileage number is that? What, what's the range? 75 ish. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, compared to like 90, <laughs> It hurts. Well, here's the thing, because this is this is where <laughs> this is, I think, is like, you know, forget like all those personality tests. Like this is the personality test. Right. Because you're <laughs> looking at it like, well, compared to 90, you know, Matt, and it's like that's un- that's undeniable. And at the same time, it would have been really easy for you to be like, well, compared to 40 miles a week, which is what I used to do. This is still a hell of a lot. You know, I mean, yeah. like, you know, it is, it's interesting how you immediately go to like the the higher end and like discount to be like, yeah, but I'm not quite doing what I used to as opposed to like going the other way because that also was in the past. You could also use that frame of reference. That's true. I didn't think about it that way. <laughs> I'm so stuck on like, yeah, well, I was running 90. <laughs> so I want to do that again. So you're doing the weekend doubles? Like I think I know when you did the half marathon, like you mentioned before, you did the 125 half untapered. My God, this is so fast. Um, yeah. And then you you ran that night. Yeah, I ran five miles later that night. I took a nap. Um, and then I ran and, uh, you know, it's, it's the norm now. So when I had this goal of breaking 19 that we talked about on the last episode, um, I had expressed this to my new coach and he's like, great. So, um, we're going to work together and then you're going to do the race. You're going to do the 5K race, you're going to PR, and then you're going to turn around and you're going to run eight miles. Then the next day, you're going to have like 12 miles to run. And I was like, what? Because normally after I PR from a 5K, like I just get to drinking beer and relaxing and I have a couple days off, you know? Uh, So I was like, what is this talk about eight miles after my PR? So I ran... um, Within four weeks of us working together, he took me from like a 1901 to an 1836. Wait, hold on. How long? Within like four weeks. Four? Within the month? Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the workouts just clicked. Um, and then, yeah. So that's why I was kind of freaked out as well when he was like, yeah, so you're just going to like do this like epic PR and then you're just going to go run eight miles afterwards. And I was like, what the heck? So he also did this, um, after half marathon that I ran in September where I ran it as a workout and I won first place like a 126 or 127. I don't even remember, but he was like, great. So then you're going to run after that. And then you're going to go home and you're going to take a nap. And then you're going to go run after that as well. So you had a cool down post half marathon and then a double. Correct. But then the cool down, I think I want to say was like five miles or something like that. Oh, it was pretty long. Yeah. And then he's like, yeah. So then you're going to go home. That was like a 25 mile day. Yeah, because you, you obviously had a warm-up before the yeah. race. I mean, you didn't just go into the race cold. I mean, you're running really quickly. You're not just going to be like, all right, just going to hop into the race and hit 602 pace, first mile, not warmed up. So um, Yeah, and he has this crazy thing that I don't know if you've ever heard anyone on that you've had on the podcast do this before because I've never heard of this. So stop me if you have. Um, he will have me wake up super early on race day, go run a mile. And then come back inside the house and shower and then uh, get ready for the race and then go out to the race and then go warm up. 
Interesting. I know people who <laughs> I know people I don't the shower part is I'm not familiar. Uh, I mean familiar <laughs> yeah, with showering. Sure he he's very heavy on the shower part being important because he says it wakes you up. <laughs> oh, okay. Well that's good. Um yeah. I mean again, I'm I'm pro shower. Let me make that clear. I'm pro shower. With that said, in that context, I'm not familiar with it. But I do know some people like this is I know a big thing in triathlon, like for Iron Man. Like most important thing you can do on race day is go to the bathroom before the race. Like that's like the most important job that you have. So like a lot of them will wake up and they will go for a quick run. And it's not about fitness. It's not about the race at all. It's just literally to get things moving. If you know to what I mean. To shake it out. Yeah. Yeah. So you get the, get the GI system <laughs> up and kicking. So, um, I guess in that context, be like, okay, well that makes sense. Cause you want to make sure that, you know, you're going in at your maximum capacity. Um, but that that other part, no, I'm not I'm not super familiar with. Uh, so when you're doing the doubles, again, so you, we mentioned this, you've had you've used them in different capacities, and you've in considering your your time constraints, and sometimes when your time is opened up, what kind of effort um, goes into the the pacing of that double? And so you, know, you can tell me what the pace is, and also like what that feels like for you. Yeah. So just to give like a little bit of a picture of what that looks like, um, I. We'll start off at like a 10 minute mile at throughout half of it. Like my first mile will end up by the end of it. It'll be 9:30 ish or a nine minute mile. I'm just trying to kind of shake out my legs and um it's very rickety and awkward and very painful. But then once I get like two and a half miles into it, I'm like, okay, I'm feeling better. I can feel stuff shaking out and I can feel like I don't know. My legs feel a little bit more mobile. Um, so honestly, like the five miles at the end is not that bad. I just normally turn on a podcast and I shuffle along and I'm sure I look crazy. Cause like I come out of the house, like fresh from a nap with my hair, just like wild. And I'm like, yeah, I'm just in a mix, mix matched outfit. Um, <laughs> my socks probably don't even match. I'm so tired. <laughs> that I can't even pay attention to what I'm wearing. And it's just all about getting in the uh, miles. I know my coach today, when he was referring to it, he's like, you just go ahead and get in your trash miles afterwards. And I was like, trash? Because I see every mile as like a little, you know, golden coin that I'm putting into a piggy bank. So it just makes me... It makes my skin crawl when someone says like, oh, it's just junk miles. I'm like, it's not just junk. It's not trash. It's important. Well, then you just have to reframe it. You just have to be like, okay, fine. And I'm Oscar from Sesame Street. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to take all the trash. I'm going to take it all and I'm going to be living in it. It's going to be great. I'm going to be the best. Yeah. One man's trash is another man's treasure. <laughs> right. Exactly. Well, I've, I've done, I've done, I'm starting to get into the doubles um oh awesome and, how are you liking it well it's, it's too early for me to even like express an opinion on it um but i'm excited about it i was excited to talk to you about it because it's um it is exciting it's nice to kind of be at that point and see what happens after that but i will say um going back to the topic we just hit a second ago it's a lot of showering yes and it's a lot, a lot of, of showering <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna have to figure out like the the, the the showering part of it. Obviously, I'm going to continue to shower, but it's like, good grief. Yeah, you, you know, rip through the shampoo and the conditioner. And... Right. And also, everyone knows the post-run shower is not the, like, I got to get to work in five minutes kind of 
express, you know, you're in the express lane yeah. shower. No, no, no. Yeah. The post front shower is much more leisurely, especially if you're the only one home. And, um, you know, when you can really kind of let it fly, you're like, I'm going to be in here for 40 minutes. This is going to be great. Um, yeah, you're just going to sit there and let the water hit you and <laughs> right, think about exactly. what just happened. Exactly. Um, but I, I swear to God, like showers have like an anti-gravity element. Like post-run, I just want to sit down unless I'm in the shower, in which case I can stand up for 90 minutes and I legs will feel totally fine. I think it's the boiling water that helps. There I don't know if is. you take showers with boiling water, but I feel like that helps a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm not... I know my wife likes it hotter than I do. So I guess my, my I guess I don't think I've reached boiling temperature levels before. Um, but it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of funny. Um, let's talk about the kind of workouts you're doing. So you mentioned before that you're really focusing on um, like the 1K repeats, the one mile repeats. So really sticking between that, like maybe four to six, four to seven mile, sorry, four to six, four to seven minute range for a lot of these interval sessions. Was that similar, similar to what you were doing before? And the second part of this question is like, how has it worked for you? Cause I know a lot of people do intervals, um, often have to do intervals at a much, you know, much shorter interval schedule. I certainly do those, but they also have a lot of, you know, a lot of workout days that have intervals that are, you know, maybe half that length quite often. Yeah. So before, um, and I don't know if it had anything to do with the dynamic of like the, the coaching that I was getting because it was with the local run store and the local run store does, they host five Ks. So, um, you know, even though my training would be kind of tailored towards marathons, there was also a element of like, Oh, well we have to do two hundreds and we have to do four hundreds, which honestly I really don't like, (laughs) but, um, they, they were helpful and I got really fast from it. But then when I started with the new coach and I was doing like the kilometer repeats and the longer, like the mile or longer than a mile type repeats, um, that really, I think, propelled me to the next level, especially because I don't, I don't run well on the upper end. I mean, I do and I don't. It's hard to say that because obviously, like, you'll see my time and you'll be like, Jeremy, what do you mean you run like your PR is 1835 or 1836? What do you mean you don't run uh, a, a good 5K? <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, I think that the the longer intervals, they're better for me as a marathon runner and as a distance runner. They're not going to work for everyone. Um, but for me and my training, it propelled me, I think, to that next level. And especially because when I was doing 400s, um, running it like at a six minute mile pace and I had this new coach come in and he's like, yeah, well, you're going to do a mile at that. And then you're going to do six miles at a six minute mile pace. Like to me, mentally, it stretches my mind where I can start seeing myself like doing a half marathon at that or a marathon at that pace. And so it not only pushes me physically, but mentally as well. That's a huge shift, right? It's not just like, hey, we're going to do these longer intervals, but you're also going to be doing them at slower paces, or we're just going to not even be worried about the pace. We're just going to be worrying about effort level, um, which is maybe a little bit easier for someone to handle at first glance. Um, When you're doing these workouts, obviously, when you're doing you know, 1K repeats, you're probably doing jogging recoveries, I'm assuming. Uh, If you're not, please let me know. Whereas oftentimes with track workouts, you're not. What's that been like making that transition as well? Oh my God. I'm so glad you asked about this because actually that's been the hardest part of this training, um, has been the fact that this guy makes me jog in between all this stuff. 
And I really don't like it. I was so used to standing around, like I do my 400 and then I stand for like a minute and then I go run again. And like Ron is like, yeah, well, you're going to go do thousands and then you're going to jog in between them. And like I was gasping, vomiting, peeing on myself um, oh, God. <laughs> and walking on the track and like just walking with my head down and like my hands on my hips and like... It, I mean, it's been really hard. I have still to this day struggled to fully lock in that jog. Like I'm still walking <laughs> in between these things. And and he gets on to me about it. Like, are you walking? And I'm like, uh, kind of. So I kind of like have worked myself into this thing where like I am jogging, but it, it I could be walking. <laughs> oh, you're doing like this 70 year old shuffle? I've gamed the system, yeah, and I'm doing the seven-year-old shuffle. <laughs> I love that. They take the head down, like the, like the hunt, the hunchback, the little, the little mini strides. Yeah, I mean that totally that humbled me because I have never been in a position where I would find myself on a track workout walking, <laughs> and then here I am doing that. Even to this day, at points, I mean, if you see me out there walking. You know what's up. Honk, honk. <laughs> yeah, Jeremy, I know you're not supposed to be doing that, right? I'm yeah. not I'm not advocating honking at runners because it's disparaging. But everything Jeremy told you, she's not supposed to be doing that. Yeah. So maybe you have a hand. Maybe you have, if you're in the Orlando area, just have a sign ready. Just hold it out the window. Yeah. Right? Or we can get Victoria Polk just coming up behind you, start, start, start running fast behind you. Yeah. Like, come there on, you go. come on, Jeremy. <laughs> Um, for the Victoria for the Victoria Polk reference, please see episode three episodes ago. If you want to learn more about her and her exploits, uh, she's also just like Jeremy, super duper fast and from Central Florida. Um, well, I'm excited for you. So you just ran a half. You got Boston coming up. That's going to be awesome. How's what's training for Boston like? Where you live, where obviously you may not have access to hills that a lot of people would like to have prior to that race, how are you making, how's that training working for you and preparing for that race? And, and what are some of the goals you're excited about? So, um, obviously I, I keep hearing a lot about how I need to train on Hills and there's not a lot of Hills here. So that's definitely adds an element of, um, difficulty. However, um, my coach is a firm believer that you don't need Hills as long as you run like hell on the fast long or on the, you know, the Sunday long run. So I've been kind of sticking to that principle. I still have added some Hills because, um, I just cannot, uh, grasp in my mind how you could not train on Hills and then go run a course with Hills and have that be okay. Um, so for my own sanity, I do throw in, there's some hilly neighborhoods around here. Um, probably nothing compared to what you have up North. However, um, I try to make it work and I've heard a lot of people from Florida say like, you really have to train on the downhill. That's what I've I was going to say. It's not even the uphills that are crush you because it's not like you're going to like, it's not a 5k. You're not going to be gasping on the uphills anyway. And you can gain strength in a lot of different ways. It's like. Not just like the technique of running the downhills, but it's also like just the eccentric, the eccentric muscle, you know, reaction that you're trying to, you know, gain tolerance of can be, you know, especially later in the race when you're coming down from mile 20. It's like, oh, my legs are hurting and I'm not used to this kind of pounding. And obviously there's a downhill in the first six, but like that's not going to be like a crusher, obviously. 
Yeah, everyone's like, you got to get used to beating up your quads. And I'm like, I don't even know what that means, but I might find out (laughs) on April 18th. (laughs) I don't know. Like, I keep hearing mixed reactions of, oh, well, the race is super, um, like, it's hilly, but you won't even notice it. And then I hear, oh, my God, it's so steep, you're going to die. So I'm thinking maybe it's something in between that. Well, I mean, I mean obviously, the, obviously the hills are legit and it's easy to like look up like the Boston Marathon on Strava and see a bunch of people's Strava files and you'll like look at the the miles yourself. I but, haven't even thought of doing that. <laughs> but even even on the even on like the race, races website, I'm sure they have the the elevation profile and all of that. But it's um so it's not like it's not like a trail ultra race where you're like climbing the Rocky Mountains, mm-hmm. right? But it's kind of like when the hills are that makes them effective. That's what everyone says. It's not the hills, it's the timing of the hills. Right, right. So again, if you're but if you're a really strong runner who's been putting in a lot of hard work, then obviously you're gonna be in a position to be prepared for it. And then, you know, then you just make it happen. Um, you know, I think that's part of it too. And 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 as you mentioned before, like you you crave this sort of thing. Who cares? Because you're like you're like, hey, I want the challenging workout, I want the challenging run, and well, hey. It's right there for you. Right. Yeah. I want to come out of this race feeling like a crushed can of soda, (laughs) just demolished. But, you know, I think it's just a a healthy mindset just in general to keep in mind that it's going to be a thousand times worse than what you think it's going to be, no matter what, as far as the marathon goes. (laughs) I love that. Yeah, I think I think it's useful to have minds not mindset, but uh, visualizations where you're not visualizing the perfect day. I mean, it's nice to have positive energy, but at the same time, it's nice to have that you know the idea of like, all right, I'm going to visualize not a bad day, but visualize like what happens if like these things go wrong. How am I going to get through it? And then you kind of work through like work through it that way. So it's like you're still putting a positive spin on it, but you're kind of, you know, you're almost catastrophizing and then getting through it with the idea right. of if this that's... does happen in a race, I'm not gonna be like, oh shit, what's that? I th- yeah. my perfect race is already out the window and I'm still warming up. Yep. I tell people um who are new to marathons, like just close your eyes and imagine the worst pain you could ever be in in your entire life. Okay, now it's gonna be worse than that. <laughs> it's going to be a thousand times worse than that. <laughs> they must they must love that pep talk. <laughs> well, you know, I just feel like if you're ready for it, uh, you know, it's never going to be easy, you know. And it's, yeah, I feel like we have a good way as humans of forgetting of how painful it's going to be in that final stretch. And so you just kind of have to tap into the reality of the situation and give yourself that talk. Like you were saying, catastrophize it, make it seem worse. That way, when you go back and you do it, it doesn't seem as bad. Um, <laughs> it's kind of like a coping mechanism. Talking to you is so much fun. I'm getting like like deja vu of like talking to Sarah Bishop, who's been like legend here on the podcast for so long. <laughs> Journey. Thank you so much for coming back to the show. I can't wait to have you back on again. This has been so much fun. Good luck at the Boston Marathon. You are going to do great, and I can't wait to see it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right, Jeremy. Thank you so much for coming on the show, and thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. If you like this show, please share it either on social media or with your friends. I really appreciate all of that as well. Thank you so much for listening. 
and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of InPost Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest of states these days. This representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry I got.